During this episode of Making the Rounds, Failure is Not an Option series, we'll be discussing cardiovascular disease, the importance of early diagnosis, and the advancements in treatment options. Making the Rounds dives into medical topics with those who know them best, healthcare providers. My name is Bridget, and I'll be your host for today's episode. If you're new to our podcast, thank you for tuning in. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. Joining me today on Making the Rounds is Dr. Deepak Acharya, Interventional Cardiologist at Banner Health and Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Arizona Sarver Heart Center and Program Director of Interventional Cardiology Fellowship. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Acharya, and welcome to Making the Rounds. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Failure is not an option on Making the Rounds is a series of podcasts discussing topics of cardiovascular health and preventions, such as symptoms, diagnosis, advancements in treatment options, and surgical interventions. Dr. Charya, you have a wide range of cardiology experience. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and your expertise? Sure, happy to. So my training is in advanced heart failure and transplant as well as interventional cardiology. Uh, I did my initial medical school and residency training at the Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. Uh, then I went to the University of Alabama at Birmingham for cardiology and advanced heart failure transplant training. And then I had a practice mostly focused on advanced heart failure, heart transplant, um, LVADs, which are left ventricular assist devices and pulmonary hypertension. So I was in uh, Birmingham for about 10 years. And then I came to the University of Arizona Banner about five years ago to do a fellowship in interventional cardiology and have stayed here since then. Well, we're lucky to have you, and uh, Banner Health is lucky to have you as well as Southern Arizona, especially with your background in, in all of these areas of expertise. Cardiovascular disease is steadily rising, and according to a study recently published in the Journal of American College of Cardiology, projected rates of cardiovascular risk factors and diseases will increase significantly in the United States. Dr. Charya, can you share with us the main types of heart disease and when they present? Sure. So we see a lot of cardiovascular risk factors that um, have not uh, been properly addressed or not been recognized or are difficult to control, and that leads to various types of heart disease. So the common risk factors such as high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and diabetes, obesity, inactivity, they all lead to various different types of heart disease. Uh, and it's not just heart disease, it's cardiovascular disease, which can be peripheral vascular disease and stroke as well. So uh, we see a lot of hypertension-related heart disease. We see ischemic heart disease, which can be things like heart attacks um, to angina to oftentimes sudden cardiac death as well if somebody has a really bad heart attack and has arrhythmias. We see a lot of advanced heart failure, which can be related to ischemic or non-ischemic disease. We see also a lot of valvular heart disease, which can be seen with other cardiac diseases or for aortic stenosis as part of the aging process for many patients. So there is a wide variety of problems that we see commonly. And when do they usually present? Again, this depends uh, on the specific type of heart disease, and they can present you know, really anywhere from childhood, early adulthood, and older age. Cardiovascular disease incidence increases with older age, so we see a lot of older patients with the accumulation of diseases, but really 
the vast majority of patients we see uh, 50s upwards, but that's not to say we don't see them in younger patients. What symptoms should a primary care provider be looking for during their visit with their patient, and when should they refer to a cardiology specialist? So I think um, first thing for primary care physicians or cardiologists or patients and their families is to recognize that things can be happening and you may not always have symptoms. Uh, So for example, many patients have high blood pressure uh, that never causes symptoms, so it's not recognized. Same with high cholesterol. So it's important to screen even in the asymptomatic phase to find things that you can treat before they become a problem. In terms of referral, uh, if you have cardiovascular symptoms, uh, it's important to understand what exactly is causing it because some symptoms can happen for a variety of reasons and the treatments can vary. So if somebody is having um, symptoms of heart failure, for example, unable to do things that they were previously able to do because of shortness of breath or fatigue, uh, if they've um, had swelling in their feet or in their abdomen, uh, if they have elevated neck veins, which people can see on physical exam, then it's important to understand what kind of heart failure it is and what the next steps are in terms of diagnosis and treatment. That may involve uh, things like an echocardiogram, which can be sometimes ordered by a primary care physician or referred to a cardiologist. If somebody has chest discomfort, that's a very common uh, symptom that we see. So we look at the nature of the chest discomfort as well as the cardiovascular risk factors that the patient has, and then use that to determine if they can uh, be monitored, if they need non-invasive evaluation like a stress test, or if they need to be referred to a cardiologist for a cardiac catheterization. Um, Arrhythmias are another common um, problem that we see, and that can be diagnosed sometimes by primary care physicians. Sometimes it needs more investigation with a cardiologist. The other uh, major group of things we see is valvular heart disease. So if you hear a heart murmur, some murmurs may be benign, but some heart murmurs can be indicative of a significant problem. So those would be things that may require further workup. You mentioned asymptomatic phase. Can you share a little bit more about the meaning and the related illness to heart failure? So many uh, cardiac problems uh, have an early phase that is asymptomatic. So, for example, somebody may have had high blood pressure for many years, um, and they never felt it. They never knew about it. But that can still cause thickening of the heart muscle, and if untreated, can lead to congestive heart failure down the line. Um, same with uh, cholesterol. You can have you know, untreated cholesterol um, that can predispose to developing coronary disease, which may get to advanced stages before somebody starts having symptoms. Um, same with valvular disease. Oftentimes, patients can have mild to moderate disease where they may not know that there is anything wrong. So there's often a long pre-symptomatic stage for many types of cardiac problems. That's important to notate because in diagnosing heart disease in its early stages is critical. Can you share the importance of capturing these patients early? Yes, because, you know, if you capture them early, not only can you treat things, you can prevent a lot of uh, the clinical things. 
we have a lot of advanced um, technological things. We can do stents, we can do surgeries, we can do valve replacement, we can do heart pumps, we can do transplants. All of that is available, but if you can try to get to the problem earlier and use prevention and try to avoid a lot of these problems, which, you know, it's not always going to be possible, but when you can, that's always better. And that has to do with medical care, lifestyle factors, diet, exercise, smoking, you know, there are genetic components to it. So there's a, it's a multifaceted problem. It's not just, um, you know, once you have something, it's trying to recognize who is at risk for something based on various uh, factors, trying to get to it at an asymptomatic stage, and trying to do interventions early on so you don't get to a big problem. What is the first line of treatment for patients who have been diagnosed with cardiovascular disease? It depends. There, um, it depends on what the exact nature of the problem is. Sometimes it's medications. Sometimes it's lifestyle changes and reassess. Sometimes it's procedures. Um, so it really depends on that individual problem. Are there any updates to pharmacological treatment for managing patients with cardiovascular disease? Uh, there are many. So there's newer agents for heart failure, for example, that have shown significant benefit and improved outcomes. Uh, there's new agents for diabetes that have been shown to have significant benefit for heart failure, um, as well as for weight loss, which we've all read about in the news. Uh, we have uh, many new drugs for cholesterol management, which we did not have before. So those are just common things, but there are a lot of newer drugs for unusual disorders like cardiac amyloidosis, which is a type of a disorder where you get a protein deposition in the heart. There are new agents that have been available in the last few years. So there are a lot of advances in terms of new treatments and a lot of clinical trials ongoing for new therapies as well. Dr. Acharya, here at Banner University Medicine, both Tucson and Phoenix, one of the things that we are really proud of are the clinical trials that we have available to us. Can you share with us some of the, the practices of clinical trials and the advancements that are happening? In the uh, University of Arizona, Tucson, for cardiology, there is a big research enterprise called the Sarver Heart Center, uh, which is over 100 investigators in cardiology, cardiothoracic surgery, vascular medicine, neurology, epidemiology, as well as many other basic science specialties who are all doing various types of investigation into heart disease. So we have a lot of both basic science, translational, and clinical research uh, going on in many aspects of cardiovascular disease. Some of these include clinical trials, uh, some of the clinical trials that we have in our division have to do with coronary atherosclerosis, managing patients who have heart attacks. You know, how do you best manage them, either drug therapy or specific devices? We have trials in patients who have chronic chest pain, who have had stents and who have had medications and are still having symptoms. How do you manage those patients? Uh, we have trials on hemodynamic monitoring, having small sensors uh, in the heart to manage volume status to avoid rehospitalizations in patients who have congestive heart failure. Uh, we have trials on stem cell therapy and trying to regenerate areas of heart that have been damaged. So there's a number of clinical trials. This is just a small example of these.
Thank you for that. You had mentioned cardiovascular devices. Can you share with us some of the advancements and devices that are available for those types of interventions? There are many devices available. Uh, Part of the challenge is knowing who would benefit from those devices, and that's where we have a significant advantage because we have a multidisciplinary group of physicians uh, ranging from different subspecialty in cardiology to cardiothoracic surgery to pediatric cardiology to vascular surgery to anesthesia. So we all often get together and decide, you know, is this device right or should there be a device? So for example, Uh, We have heart team meetings every week to decide on patients with structural heart disease. So one thing that's been used commonly nowadays is something called a mitra clip. It's a percutaneous way of treating leakiness of the mitral valve without having to have open heart surgery. Uh, This technology was initially developed for patients with mitral disease who are not surgical candidates now the indication has expanded substantially to patients with heart failure and mitral uh, valve leakiness. So this is one example. The other example is something called a cardiomems, which is that small sensor that I was talking about that's implanted into the pulmonary artery and patients can be monitored at home. Uh, this gained a lot of traction during the COVID era where people were trying to avoid in-person contact so patients could be managed remotely. Uh, we have um, many devices for mechanical support for uh, patients who have heart disease and cardiogenic shock where they uh, have low blood pressure or a heart gets very weak from devices like a balloon pump to another device called an impella to a modified heart-lung machine called ECMO to surgical devices called left ventricular assist devices and also heart transplant. So there's a you know, range of devices, but also, uh, you know, the expertise to decide who needs to be on those devices is also as important as the device themselves. When we talk about medications, the first-line treatments, patients that have been diagnosed with cardiovascular disease, can you share with us a little bit about medication management and the importance of being on, not only being on the right medicine, but being on the appropriate dosage and continued maintenance? Sure. Um, So I think uh, it's important to, like you said, not only be on the correct medications, but to make sure that the medications are doing uh, what they're supposed to. So two examples come to mind. First, uh, hypertension. So many patients who have hypertension don't know about it, but even the ones that know about it, the ones that are on treatment are not on adequate treatment and the blood pressure is still high. So that, you know, only solves the problem halfway. People are still at risk. For congestive heart failure, particularly those with reduced ejection fraction, so weak heart, there is now good evidence that doing quadruple therapy, there are four different classes of medications that we use, and titrating them to uh, doses that were shown to be beneficial in clinical trials, that has the best outcome. So having a system where you can get patients on the right medications, titrate them up to the right levels, and monitor closely is important in getting the most optimal outcomes. 
Dr. Acharya, you mentioned the importance of having a multidisciplinary team when it comes to the diagnosis and continued treatment for patients with cardiovascular disease. Can you share with us a little bit about the relationship and the collaboration that you have with a referring provider, whether it be the general specialist or the primary care? I think that collaboration and communication is very important. Uh, There are some patients that we have ongoing care with, but a lot of patients, especially once we do the procedure uh, that's requested, we often release the patients back to their primary care physicians. And But we have an ongoing relationship in case there are any problems, in case anything is needed, in case there's uh, future follow-up. So both for patients that we have you know, one-time or two-time interactions, as well as those that we follow longitudinally, we want to do this in collaboration with the referring physicians because that's where the patient is living in their communities. And we want to have a, you know, a relationship where the patient has the input from their physician who often they've been seeing for years or decades as well as us. So that collaboration is very, very important to us. Thank you, Dr. Charya, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today and educating us on cardiovascular disease, the importance of early diagnosis, and the advancements in treatment options. Thank you very much. If you want to learn more about the cardiology specialists and programs available at Banner Health, please visit us at bannerhealth.com forward slash heart for more information. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Making the Rounds.